Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher and the founder of Impeak. My guest on today's podcast is Alex Salnikov, Chief Strategy Officer and co-founder of Rarible NFT Marketplace. Rarible is now empowering creators to have their own marketplace with complete control over their sales, royalty, and branding. What's even more exciting is that right now this feature is free as Rarible has just released it. This conversation also gave us a chance to dive deeper into the whole debate around Web3 business models, which I think many of you will appreciate. Alex, thank you for being here. I think first things first, it would be interesting to get into what made you want to create uh, Rarible. Was it your idea? Like, were you the founder as well? Uh, it all started during previous bear markets. Um, bear markets are low times when everybody's ideating, okay, what comes next? What's going to be the next evolution of blockchain? What's going to be the battery future? And it was 2018, 2019 bear market. And before that, if you uh, remember, there was the UX of Web3 was terrible. You couldn't do almost anything. If you wanted to call a smart contract, you needed to press 20 buttons and, and download an app to your computer. It, it was all so complex. And by that bear market, there was more tools. You could connect MetaMask to a web page. You can use credit card on brown. So there was there was a feeling of a new technological platform that has developed during the bull run and the, and the beginning of the bear market that we wanted to capitalize on. And we've been in the space for some time. I, I joined in like 20, 2012 uh, and my my co-founder was early as well. So that was that was not new for us. We thought, okay, what's next? And the feeling in there was there will be more consumers adopting the, the tech because of the better UX. And there was DeFi and NFTs as two main segments and use cases. And DeFi was a little nerdy. It's, 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 it's complex. So NFTs felt much more accessible and uh, for consumers. And we always had this mission that uh, for Web3 to, to succeed, it, it, should be, it should be big. It should be scaled. There, there, there should be a lot of users. You can't really have a circular economy of 10,000 people that you know, just flowing money to each other. That's why we, we decided to go with NFTs. NFTs was very early. And uh, there was almost no NFTs back then. It was cryptic kitties. And it's, it's actually kind of fascinating how we went from cryptic kitties, that is a living creature on chain with a DNA that can breathe, all the way back to, okay, now we have flat pictures Let's go with flat pictures. Let's sell the idea of NFTs to everyone and let's start to make it more complex. And we only see dynamic NFTs to come back now. So that's that was our journey. We started with a simple, simple tool, upload a picture and to connect your wallet and, and just that. Uh, and we got adopted by the crypto art platform, but by the crypto art community that was kind of rebellious to other platforms that were highly curated. And we've been open-ended day zero. Um, that's how it all started. And it evolved into a more of an infrastructure product. So at some point, we thought, okay, uh, the NFT is the, keeping in, in mind this mission of we want we want Web3 to scale. Crypto art allows it to scale for to some extent. But there will be just potential of NFT is so much bigger. There is many new use cases. 
domain names, social, PFP, passes, music, and all that requires different UX. You can't have it all on the same platform. Well, you can, and you will need to find something fairly generalistic. Uh, but for these use cases to be thriving, they need different UX. And that's why we decided to be infrastructure company that will allow other companies to power the next generation of UX. And that's how we ended up with kind of Shopify model when you can use the no-code tool to create your own marketplace to really target some specific use case and over time evolve, evolve and target it with a better UX than just generalist. So tell me more about the community marketplaces. What are some of the reasons why people might want to have that? And is it something that's kind of white labeled or uh, is it a rareable branding? Fully white labeled. Uh, you can put it to your custom domain, uh, Web2 domain, not yet Web3 domains, and uh, any any custom branding. And there will be just a little thing in the bottom that it's built on variable protocol. Uh, fully white label. And I think the benefits is mainly control over the user flow and revenue flow that you get. Um, many communities feel um, feel independent position when they spend a lot of resources to uh, create build their community, to create a drop uh, on their website, to have 20,000 people, 200,000 people on their Discord, and then to send them all away and say, okay, now go trade to, to this big marketplace. You're like sending your users away from your community. Um, and we, we felt that there is a big opportunity to have everything on your platform without leaving. You can trade even, you can trade even on these marketplaces through the same white label product because it's aggregating. It's aggregating uh, OpenSea, LuxRareX, to way to orders. So you're not losing any supply, any liquidity, but you keep everything under one umbrella, under one one unbranded custom community home. So uh, when you say it's it's about control, how does that exactly work? Because when you think of um, you know blockchain, obviously it's decentralized, right? And and it's you can't really control where people uh, go. So does this mean that people can still you know, use something like OpenSea or Blair or whatever to buy those tokens? Or do you kind of like cut out those uh, marketplaces and say you can only buy it on ours? Yeah, I get it. Control is the wrong word in Web3. You can't really use it. Uh, forbidden. No, it, of course, everybody can trade and open see the items are in the user's hands and uh, the control over the user flow is mostly what I mean. You can, you can direct um the user flow better you can have a drop you can collect emails you can create a secondary on your own domain name uh, and then uh follow up everybody okay here's a new drop and, and here's the update and everything is still open the items are in the user's hands they can they are free to go to any other marketplace to trade and it, it creates a home as a one more possibility that unites all of these experiences rather than um rather than i don't know, keep them separate and mm -hmm. it gives the creator the ability to enforce royalties on their own custom domain and to say okay if you want to support creator if you want to uh, to 
like contribute to community trade here where it's the true community home that contributes to creator helps the project to grow rather than okay go anywhere else and uh it's it's mostly for traders that don't want to pay they want to flip for five ten percent profit for somebody who just buying because they want to be in the community or they like the art uh it makes so much sense to to pay royalties and be on this marketplace as a marketplace how do you differentiate yourself other than the fact that obviously you've created this potential white label for if communities want to use it but how do you differentiate yourself from other marketplaces what or maybe a better question is what's the biggest challenge for marketplaces right now considering you know there are, everybody i suppose is talking about blur and and how it has really kind of disrupted even though I don't see how their business model is going to be, um, you know, sustainable, I don't know if they necessarily care about that sustainability. But yeah, how um, how do you differentiate yourself in in this uh, market? This white label is the biggest differentiating point. We've always been community driven, closer to the community, talking to community, promoting some people from the community, listening to their feedback, and that's most of their feedback that we. Uh, we want our own custom community homes. We want to to not be the part of the bigger platforms. And if you try to frame the question of what is the main difficulty or what are the main challenges, that would be mostly liquidity. How do you make people to come and trade and that um, people want good prices? Uh, when, when they want to buy something, they want to buy something that is available at the best prices. And usually the most liquid place uh, has the best prices available. That's why you come to the most liquid place. That's why the place that gets the most liquidity, that gets number one of liquidity, it kind of drives away the users from all the other places to them. And that's why Blur is doing that uh, with their currently unsustainable business model. They're driving away users from all the other platform because currently they have the most liquidity. now their incentives will dry up and we will see where it converges, where they keep as the number one liquidity place or they fall off. Um, and so the marketplaces are mostly fighting for that. To be the place, to be the category in which you have liquidity number one. And we started this art platform and it's evolved into the understanding that there is individual artists, fine artists, but mostly we find our connection with artists that are more like a community-oriented artists that have a big community that do multiple drops, multiple editions, and, and that's the evolution. We want to be the number one liquidity place for communities, for community NFTs, for artists that are community-focused or for pure communities. Uh, what is your commission fee uh, or your um, marketplace fee? We charge 2%. 1% on the buyer side and 1% on the seller side. And for community marketplaces currently, that's on variable. That's on variable main marketplace. For community marketplace currently, it's zero. It's a promotion period. Long term, we're seeing something closer to 1% to be charged on those marketplaces. Okay, nice. How do you see, uh, I suppose I, I was going to ask you, how do you balance the need for marketplace fees 
with the desire to support the creators. And I suppose the fact that you've got 1% on each side, that's one of the ways that you do that. And I think that's quite fair. And I, I like the idea. I also think it should be the same with royalties. It makes sense for me that the buyer should be paying the royalty, not the seller. Um, it kind of makes sense that way because the buyer is coming into the community. There are certain things that are just not ideal and uh, the way that they have been kind of traditionally set up in, in the NFT space. It's kind of weird to even use the term traditional with, um, you know, with NFTs considering that they are so, so new. Um, but other than what, what I just said about taking 1% on each side, how else do you see that you can uh, support the creators in this environment where royalties is such a big issue? Money is always a hot topic and for some time, marketplaces were following the royalties model. And then everybody realized that, oh, it's actually the desire of marketplaces to follow these royalties. And sometimes they can change that. And there uh, some some more opportunistic marketplaces came up that don't want to respect that and fight for their, their liquidity. And variable position has been always that we support royalties. We started with royalties. We started with the art community. We understand how important this is for the art community. Uh, now, longer term, it feels like uh, we, we even implemented um, additional royalties for the pseudoswap that doesn't enforce royalties. Uh, we implemented that on the buyer side. So if you come to the community marketplace, or to the wearable and you would buy an item from the pseudoswap, it will contribute to the to the royalty stream of the creator. So it's heavily pro-creator stance. If you want to have your own marketplace, you can control that, whether you add royalties on top of any buyer experience or not, that's fully custom and that's for creators to be there. So in, in that scale, we are probably the most pro-royalties out of all existing marketplaces today. Uh, we, we we enforce them for all the collections and we even add them for aggregated orders that are not enforcing that on, on their own order books. Mm, interesting. Um, you mentioned about the art community, but not every NFT is art NFTs. Um, I think that is one of the issues is in, in this space is that we are kind of treating everything based on art, uh, whereas there are some... NFTs that are frankly more similar to something like Kickstarter, you know, that they help uh, kickstart a business. What are your thoughts on this differentiation? And do you see that over time, these different uh, business models will separate and go different, different ways? Because right now we are kind of putting everything in the same bucket with art, with like anything that's got an NFT, we call it the same thing. And actually based on that, I have some ideas for you from a business model point of view uh, of, uh, you know, things that we can do outside of the typical NFTs. But, but yeah, like first things first, do you think that there's going to be a separate kind of ways or, or differentiation between these different types of NFTs? Oh yeah, for sure. We're seeing it right now happening in the space. The art has its own niche. There is art blocks, super rare, foundation, rareable. All of those are art platforms. OpenSea was a generalistic platform, and now it is seeing it, it is it's facing the divergence of the market with the blur and magically or other marketplaces that are taking the spot of we are here for NFTs that are liquid. 
And if you come to our platform, the first thing you see, it's a chart. It's not even a picture. It's not even the art. You're seeing the chart. You're seeing whether the prices go up or down. So the liquid NFTs, the PFP market is kind of going the exchange route. While art market is going the other way and community market is going the other way. So today we see art, communities, PFPs, passes, and music. That's like five use cases, not, not many. And the, the, late, the last three are even so small. So two main use cases would be art and PFP. And these two use cases are diverging heavily today. And over time, they will diverge even more. And the new use cases will grow bigger. And all of them will diverge into different niches. Um, that's exactly why we're building community marketplaces and protocol, because all of them need some technology. And technology is fairly exchangeable. While the UX, is, it will be so different. That one, you'll have, for art, you'll have like big pictures, focus on art, cleanliness for PFPs and liquid. And for art, royalties make much more sense than for PFPs too. For PFPs, they're liquid. You, wanna, you want high velocity of trade. You don't want to tax every transaction, even as a creator sometimes, because it impacts your volume and it impacts everything. So you want exchange interface for PFPs. You want gallery interface for art. You want a, a music player for music NFTs. Totally different things. Yeah, that's right. The, the The other one that is sorely needed right now is uh, subscription NFTs, you know, like because NFTs will enable a level of collaboration between communities that you couldn't do without them. So a normal fiat subscription doesn't provide that. But and that's what I, what I wanted to discuss with you. And like, I don't I'm so surprised that no marketplace has really um you know taken it on themselves to take the lead in that space because everybody needs it like you know there are a lot of businesses um that want to use web3 technology but um there isn't really a good answer to subscription nfts and that's something that a marketplace can provide and um you know i'm happy to discuss that with you because we are building a platform where there are a lot of communities coming on to use it that they need subscription NFTs. They need they need recurring revenue because they are educational, right? You know, they're educational and they, they it doesn't make sense for them to sell an NFT and then, you know, uh, forever utility. Um, it doesn't make sense because they have got ongoing uh, overhead to build the content, right? So, so it's very different to PFBs. Um, so uh, do you have any thoughts on that, on the subscription NFT side? Has it... Uh, occurred to you before? Uh, have, have you thought about it? We spent a fair amount of time thinking about subscriptions and NFTs. It even was on our roadmap at some point. And I think the result of that is that we're not there yet. In terms of technology, this average cost of subscription is like $5. The average cost of a Ethereum transaction is 3 to $5. And it doesn't make sense to charge $5 and pay $5 as a transaction fee. And you need to do that every month and you need to trigger that automatically. So that is that's what's causing the issues. Uh, we will see subscriptions, much wider subscription adoption with layer twos to become, uh, to become better adopted. And with account abstraction that allows you to create 
to create transactions without the end user doing something. You can you can just allow someone to spend your money from the smart contract wallet, and then it will spend it recurrently over time. This automation, it's not that simple in the current form of the blockchain as well, because with the current way of account structure, every action should be initiated by the end user. You, you, you always need to press, you always need to sign the transaction for something to happen. Well, this whole idea of about something happening with your money without your involvement, it's uh, it's, it's not starting. blockchain. It's not blockchain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In a way, in a way, yes. It will yeah. come to blockchain because people need that, but a little later. Definitely, yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose one um, obvious answer, like you said, is um, layer twos or polygon sidechain. You know, it's definitely something that um, is definitely needed. Um, let's talk a little bit about intellectual pro- property. Is there anything specific that you guys are doing to prevent fraud or other forms of misconduct on the platform to protect creators' inter- intellectual property? That was always a fine dance for us because we came out with this thesis that we will not be curated platform that restricts people from using that. And whenever you have ability to do anything, people would start to try to do something uh, malicious. There, there was always, always be a subset of people that tried to do that. So we, inter- we implemented several steps. Uh, main of them is we take an approach when everything is allowed, you can create any NFTs, but what happens then? then we have a special discovery process and we implemented the verify check marks for people to verify their identity and they can they can make sure that this account is their account and, and on top of that we then elevate people that are verified on top of uh, other that are not verified and we have an extensive post moderation program you can report something the, the support team will take care of that the trust and safety uh, team would take care of that. They would uh, check what's going on. If that's malicious, there is DCA requests for brand. If you found an IP infringement, it's pretty much the same approach social networks taken. Everything is allowed, but there is thousands of Rihanna Instagram accounts that are fake. But what are the chances that you're going to find them when, when the domain the Rihanna has millions of followers and gets elevated everywhere on the platform and in case something is elevated you can always file a report that okay this is this is wrong please take care of that and because it's blockchain we can't take care of that on chain so we merely delist it from from the front end so uh, when you look at the the nft space right now over the coming weeks and months um what are some of the challenges that you you see uh, is, is facing us just in the immediate future? What are, what are some of the biggest concerns that you have that maybe keep you awake at night? At night? <laughs> it's an interesting question. I feel like NFT is sort of going through a little bit of an identity crisis. There was 2020, 2021 when the, the thesis was 
okay, we can we can do everything with NFTs. Everything can be an NFT. The ticket can be an NFT. Subscription can be an NFT, and everything can be an NFT. And and then the reality came with the fact that oh, not many use cases actually make sense today with the current technology, with the current marketplaces, with the current everything. And um, there is a there is multiple experiments that are launched. And out of the simple NFTs, pretty much art and avatars worked. So what can be the other set of NFTs that makes sense? And the industry comes through this rediscovery process of what can be the other use cases that will work. We're seeing a lens that has everything as NFT, the follower, the subscription, the uh, Twitter post as NFT. That is cool. That's a big use case. We see the main names. We see like Uniswap adopt NFTs as their um, as their badge for your uh, liquidity pool participation. So a lot of new use cases needs to arise, and the metaverse wasn't that close as to say, and 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 everybody taking a step back to rethink how we approach the space. That's right. Yeah, there's uh, there's just so many challenges these days that it's coming from all sorts of. There's the regulatory, there's AI, there's the metaverse. There's so many different aspects, and everything is moving so fast. That's like really, really difficult to to kind of like guess what is coming up next, right? So, um, does the issues of um, diversity and inclusion come to your mind at all i mean part of the reason why i'm asking that is because the crypto space is obviously a highly crypto bro <laughs> you know like not uh not not entirely diverse uh there's some some diverse artists and you know there's some uh some level of you know more and more people kind of coming into the space but in general i'd say that still 90 percent white crypto bro so so i wonder uh, you know what as a marketplace what can you do right like you know that's often the question of like when, when you are in a position where you are an aggregator or you are a you know a platform of uh a, a, like similar to to what you're doing there's kind of like an expectation that you're uh, you're doing something to push that um i suppose the first question is um, what are you doing or, or are you doing anything to push that uh, agenda? And, and if so, um, what, what are you doing and, and why do you think it matters? Uh, we take the lens of democratization and accessibility at that question. So uh, because our platform evolved in fairly unopinionated matter, matter you can access everything. Everybody can come to the platform. Whenever the verification happening, we only check the identity. We don't check oh, if you cool artists or not. It's it's not the part of our uh, of our mm, policies. So uh, and actually, I think that from the diversity perspective, our platform sits at the almost the best scores we have a very high portion of female uh, NFT creators and that uh, found the platform easy to use, non-technically non requiring to, to adopt. And that was 
that was very rewarding. It's we're, we're taking this approach of scale, democratization. Uh, we we always had in the beginning of 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 our journey, we had thirty percent of users to use a wallet such as Fortmatic, which doesn't require you to store seed phrase. So this these little steps, we support Tezos, which is the blockchain that got adopted by the. Uh, wider set of artists that you cannot afford the Ethereum gas prices. So all of those things are our contribution to this agenda. We don't specifically like go and elevate something like that, but we take to make we it take a wider approach. Yeah. Yeah. Make, make it, life make it, easier for them. Yeah. Making up well, I, I like this how is it access to opportunities is yeah is very equal at, at variable. That's important, yes, and and that's that's probably the most important thing. So last question: if if somebody is thinking about you know listening to this and thinking about I want to come into the NFT space, um, you know, as a new entrant, you know, maybe as an artist or they want to build a, any other kind of um, uh, project. Obviously, things have changed quite a lot. Um, what would you say to them? Like, do you have any advice for people coming new into the space? I, it's a fairly generalistic advice, but it feels like community is the king. Get on Twitter, find your niche, find your in-person and online, but very tight one-on-one -on -one, uh, relationships. Just get on the call every day with somebody and learn about the space, build the, the network of supporters. And it feels like today it is rather hard for the individual creator to, uh, to get elevated. You usually need a team. Usually the most of the successful NFT projects today, they are done by the small team of entrepreneurial-oriented uh, people, artists and a community manager, and maybe somebody who is good at marketing. Usually artists can be good at marketing and somebody probably a little bit close to the tech. So these three core competences is what you usually need to succeed today. It's either you can take like three people to do that or you're a genius and you can do all of them together just all by yourself and you have enough time in the day, that's uh, when you can really do it solo. Uh, so that that would be my advice probably. Community is always king, right? So, so this is the most important thing. And, and of course you need to surround yourself with a great team, build a, an actual product. I think that early days of uh, NFTs, it was like really easy. Like you could just spin up, you know, a whole bunch of uh, images. But now also people are so much more, um, I suppose, because of AI, a lot, uh, you know, people are a lot more sort of cautious thinking about, okay, did you just actually, did you actually create this? Or did you just sort of went to mid journey and like created all of this in like an hour, <laughs> you know, you know? So um, it doesn't uh, it doesn't mean that AI art doesn't take time. It actually it can take a lot of time if you want to do it properly. But um, it's uh, it, people have become more discerning, and it's become easier to please them. So there needs to be substance 
any last words? Uh, so what, what do you want people to do when they listen to this podcast? Like what's the next step you want them to, who should they contact? Like if, if people are looking at this and uh, creators, you know, looking at this and say, okay, I want to have my own, um, you know, rareable um, marketplace. So, so where do they go? What's the next step? Yeah. Find me on Twitter, um, rareable, um, at variable find that that's variable that's not me uh find me at insider zero x uh dm us uh come try play with your own custom marketplace mint some nfts uh it's really as as i said the the industry goes through the rediscovery phase so innovation is what you want to do now you want to come up with some crazy idea about how to change everything how to put everything from from the like grounds up and reshape reshape everything. There is a lot of opportunities. We are very early in the market. There's only two use cases been discovered. Discover more. Yeah, definitely. Discover more, guys. So this is the the uh, message takeaway. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alex. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for this discussion. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Alex Salnikov of Rarible. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. The full interviews are also available on my YouTube channel, The Somi Ariane Show.